The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. So you know how there are just some people you kind of click with instantly at work, your collaboration is effortless, productive, and really enjoyable. But with others, it seems kind of impossible. Misunderstandings and frictions, they just seem to mar every interaction. Well, what if there was a way to work with almost anyone, easily, effortlessly, and in a way that brings out the very best in both of you, even in those that you have struggled with in the past? That's where we're headed in today's Sparked Podcast. So my guest today, Michael Bungay-Stanier, believes that we can do this. And in this episode, I speak with Michael about his powerful yet practical new book, How to Work with Almost Anyone. And Michael reveals a key insight before diving into the what of any work, which is where we tend to start, the tasks, the projects, the deliverables. You first got to have a critical conversation centered around five key questions that he calls keystone conversations. If you've ever found yourself idling in an unproductive working environment that just kind of feels stuck in neutral, unwilling, or unable to shift gears, listen in as Michael walks us through the simple yet transformative formula for how to work well with almost anyone. I really believe that you'll walk away with renewed hope that even the most challenging colleagues, clients, and coworkers have the potential to become powerful collaborators If only we tap into the courage to have the right kind of conversation. And that conversation is what we focus on today. So excited to share that with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, We'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. So you and I have been in conversation, I don't know, for, for years and a long time now about life, about work, about business, about 
um, making a difference and an impact. And you've got a new book out now, which I think is so timely and so necessary. And one of the things I love, whenever you put a book out into the world, it feels like you write what you need to write and not a word more than that. I mean, this is literally like this, this is the absolute core of the idea. This is as sparse as possible. So there is no fluff that you need to wade through. Um, And I feel like that's always been intentional with you in your books, but I feel like that approach is needed more than ever these days, especially. Well, I have as a design principle, what's the least I can teach that would be the most useful. So whether that's a talk or a workshop or a book, I'm always going... Oh, you know, so often the putting stuff in is more about me making sure I'm adding value and proving how smart I am or proving my worth or whatever. And I'm like, how do I be of greater service to the people who are trying to digest this? And most people go, books are too long. (laughs) I don't have time to read. And books are too intimidating. So you're right, Jonathan, I am constantly going, how do I make this less? I mean, this book comes in at 23,000 words. And when we started this to my editor, I was like, I'd love this to be under 20,000. I'd like this to be the shortest book I've ever written. And so it has a kind of condensed clarity to it. So like a crystal in terms of just an arc and a shape, which means that there's no room for fluff. And it also means trying to share the big idea right at the start. <laughs> like the first version of this, I, I kept the kind of the dana and this is the answer to about the midpoint. And I shared it with people and they're like, uh, I did, kind of gave up at the 10% mark. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so now I'm like, okay, if people are only going to read the first 15 pages of my book and there's plenty of people who will only read the first 15 pages of my book and I celebrate them, have they got at least something? My, have they got my best thinking in those first 15 pages? Yeah. Um, and it definitely comes out. And, and especially in the, so the world of work these days where there's so much spin happening, so much groundlessness, I feel like people's bandwidth to actually like wade through just to get to the idea and understand why it matters has more or less vanished. Um, so you do tee this up in the beginning of this book. The book is how to work with almost anyone. Again, a topic that I think so many of us <laughs> are grappling with in so many different ways. Yeah, yeah. And you tee up this notion of there's this thing that exists um, maybe a lot of us thought it was in a fantasy world, but you're like, no, this is actually real. It's not a unicorn called the best possible relationship, BPR, you yeah. shorthanded as. And there's a mechanism to help facilitate this or enable this that you call a keystone conversation. Flesh these, these concepts out a little bit sure. for me and how they relate to each other. Yeah. Our success and our happiness depends on the people we work with. Work happens through the relationships that we have. And much of the time, most of us cross our fingers and hope for the best. <laughs> we go, look, all right, I'm working with these people because I have to, because I, cho- I choose to. Well, then, fingers crossed, take a breath. They look like they're good people. Hopefully, this won't suck like the last ones did. Um, and inevitably, things get a bit disappointing or a bit broken. And I'm not saying that every working relationship has to be this kind of moment of gold glitter and light coming down from heaven and unicorns farting. I'm saying every working relationship has potential. How do you fulfill the potential of that working relationship and give it the best chance to be? And these are the three qualities of a BPR, safe and vital and repairable. So safe is, you know, Amy Edmondson's work about psychological safety. It's people removing the fear to be themselves and say what needs to be said. 
Vitality, I heard described the other day, and I love this. I'm stealing it. It's called psychological bravery. <laughs> How do you have courage, push each other, be provocative, step to the edge? But you know those two are in some sort of tension with each other. There's always this dance between safety and vitality. And then the third element is repairability, which is like, if I can promise you and guarantee you that your working relationship will go off the rails at some stage, you know, a misspoken word, a misunderstood gesture, a broken promise, chaos, failure, who knows? Um, how do you get back? How do you repair it? And the key idea, and you've, you've named it the Keystone Conversation, is essentially this. Have a conversation about how you work together before you plunge into the what of the work. And the what is always enticing. It's always loud. It's always noisy. It always feels urgent. It feels like the thing to look at. But if you just pause a moment and go, hey, Jonathan, we're doing this thing. I'm excited about it. But how should we work together to make sure that we work the best together so we can do the best work? Yeah. And that makes so much sense when you lay it out like that. And yet on an operational day-to-day level, it more or less never happens. Right. You know, And I feel like people are just like, we have a limited amount of time. Most people right. hate meetings. We have to go do this thing. Yeah. Let's just dive Get into the that. topic, the subject, yeah. the challenge. Yeah. We'll like assume that everything else will get figured out along the way. Yeah. And then let's end this as quickly as humanly possible and go and do the work. Right. Rather than saying, well, well what about the container? You're like, what right. about the dynamic? Um, what about actually understanding how to work um, in those ways where there is that safety, there is that vitality, there is that repairability? Mm. I'm curious, you have been in another role of coaching, of consulting, yeah. of running your own um, entity for many years now. Why do you think that this part of the conversation so rarely happens? Well, it's a combination of things. One is the work is always pretty exciting or pretty urgent um, at the start. So it's always calling us. When you come in for a meeting, it's, not, it's mostly because a problem needs to be solved or a thing needs to get done. And typically people are looking to prove their value. And one of the ways they're going to do that is like, let me show you how I'm going to contribute to fixing this and solving it and figuring it out. And even in the Coaching Habit book, which is, you know, the book I'm probably best known for, really one of the first questions is, what's the real challenge here for you? It's actually about what are we trying to solve here? So it's really understandable. But perhaps the deeper reason is pausing for a moment (laughs) and turning your attention away from the work to the person that you're working with and saying, hey, you and me, we're humans here. (laughs) How will we be humans together and work together best is First of all, rare, so there isn't a whole lot of practice. Secondly, it is immediately an act of courage and a degree of vulnerability in this exchange. If I'm saying to you, Jonathan, here's what I'm good at, here's what I'm not good at, here's where I flourish, here's where I struggle, that is personal, that is revealing. Mm. And you know, there's one reason that this doesn't happen, which is like, I don't know how to have that conversation, and it feels hard. So part of what the book's about is to try and unweird this conversation and make it feel more accessible and more practical and more doable for people. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I feel like there there is that impulse that you described where it's just, especially I think if you're newer in an organization or on mm-hmm. a team or a project where you want to show up and just prove, prove your value as yeah. quickly as humanly possible. You want to basically get your chits in, um, you know, and say like that I can contribute. I can, I have this idea, this idea, this idea. And I feel like that often that becomes the leading thing that you you just think about that and and nothing else. Um, right. But 
you know, if the dynamic actually is dysfunctional, it doesn't matter how good your ideas are because they're not going to be received or land in the way that you want them to anyway. Even if the dynamic is really strong from the start, and that happens often enough, you know, in that first honeymoon period, sometimes that, I mean, sometimes the honeymoon period lasts about seven minutes and you're done, but often it's longer than that. You're like, this is exciting. We're we're clicking along, but the relationship hasn't been tested yet. And Mm. as soon as the relationship gets tested, things get much harder. And part of the power of having a keystone conversation either at the start of the working relationship or whenever, you know, you can, if you haven't had one already and you're already working with somebody, you can, you can stop and pause and have this conversation. But part of what you're doing is you're normalizing a, Hey, how are we doing? Mm. How's this working relationship going? And part of what's a kind of surprising benefit of a keystone conversation is not only the answers you get in the moment to the five core questions, it's just broadly, we can come back and go, hey, <laughs> we talked about how we wanted to go. How are we? How's it doing? How are you doing? How are we doing? How am I doing? And there's this permission to keep checking back on the health of the working relationship. Yeah. So you just mentioned that there within a keystone conversation, there are these five core questions. Yeah. In the book, you give a ton of detail on really like, like specifically how to actually have the questions and the conversations. But I want to walk through like just the the sort of like the what and the why of these yeah. five questions with you. Brilliant. The first one you tee up is what you call the amplified question, uh, which you, you pose as like, what's your best? Yeah. Um, what's this getting at? It is trying to get beyond what you're good at. And it's trying to get beyond a kind of abstract conversation about what your strengths are. It's much more about, let me tell you when I shine and when I flow. <laughs> this is when you get the best of me showing up. This is the... This is the work that I tend to be doing. This is the type of working relationships I tend to have. This is the the, the things you, I draw on to be my best. So I've started talking about it as how, when do you shine? When do you flow? And you you know you all have heard the the flow state from Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi, the Hungarian psychologist, all about the moment where time speeds up and slows down, and you're like, I would do this work for free. That's sort of kind of, I'm really in the sweet spot. And shining is when you kind of watch somebody and you're like, I can just see them lit up by this work. And so, you know, if Jonathan, if you and I, let's say you and I were sitting down, we're going to co write a book together. And I was like, Jonathan, when when you're creating, because you know, when when you send you an email, you get an email back going, look, I'm in maker mode, I'm in creator mode. And that's a, essential part of who you are i'd be like so tell me about that what what does it take for you to be at your best in that creator mode and you would tell me stuff and then i would tell you stuff i'm like this is how i really flourish this is what i'm good at this is when i really shine and immediately i've got an understanding of you that isn't just what i've made up about jonathan fields having known you for 20 years and read your books and listened to your podcasts and projected a whole bunch of stuff of what i think you are but now you're telling me this is my best. This is what brings out my best. Yeah, I, I love that also because you're communicating how somebody else can support you in exploring mm-hmm. that and also giving the space for that other person to communicate the same to you. Yeah. Of the five questions, I feel like this has got you know this really strong um, foundation in the world of positive psych. That's right. You know, and, and this is actually something that you write about in the context of this. It's the, the notion of do we actually focus on what's going right, on, on or do we focus on what's broken yeah. that we need to fix? And this is really oriented in this sort of like, like this is what happens when I'm really just flying high and I'm yeah. completely on, you know, like lit up. And let's focus more energy on that in supporting each other right. in that context. So having actually, you know, 
Spark types, of course, is perfect language to have that conversation because you're like, let me let me give you some archetypes that I can tell you about actually what brings out my genius and when I'm really in that state. So, you know, for the people who've taken the survey and they know their spark type, that's part of the conversation you can have. It could be that you say, let's take this survey together, this this profile together, and then trade our spark types because you know, the work you do, Jonathan, will give people some really specific language and insights that people can trade with each other. Yeah, I love that. And we have developed over the years um, a conversational model that we call sort of like very obviously sparked conversations that yep. really just details that a lot. And we did it because we were hearing that people were sort of like fumbling through their own versions of it. And we just wanted to give some specificity to that container. But you're right. It is, it's, it's, it's this thing where people don't experience it as work. People love to share the essence of who they are and how they come alive right. and know that about other people. And I think for a keystone conversation, it's a fabulous starting off point because you're yeah. starting on this really high, positive, exactly. supportive note. <laughs> yeah. Teeing up next, you have what you call a steady question, some yeah. version of like, what are the practices, the preferences, the tendencies of how you show up? Tell me more about what this is and also why, why is this so important in the context of a keystone conversation? Yeah, you know, this is basically going, let me tell you the logistics of how I work. Mm. Um, because we all have built our preferences around the things we do and how we do them and the tools that we use and how we use them. And they feel like common sense to us, but they're not common sense. They're your own weird way of working in the world. And in part, Jonathan, this comes from uh, a practice that I think is in Silicon Valley, perhaps beyond that as well, called the README document. The README document is where you know people type out all this stuff about what they prefer in terms of Slack and feedback and how I have meetings and if I'm a morning person and all of those kind of like logistics. But what they do is they like, I'm going to write the document out and I'm just going to send it out. And everybody, I assume, will read it and then miraculously know how to work with me. And I'm like, you know what? That, that content is gold dust. That process is a disaster. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a, a terrible process. But it's, it's simply so when you go, look... I'm a morning person. I go, well, I'm also a morning person, so that's great. You're like, I, I do emails over the weekend, but I don't expect people to answer them. I'm like, that's great because I don't check my emails at all over the weekend. I'm like, I'm bad in meetings. I'm like, I'm terrible in meetings. I hate meetings. I get restless within about four minutes. You're like, yeah, so let's not have meetings or try not to have meetings. You get that back and forth. And it's important to say that just because you have practices and preferences, you don't get your way every time. But now you find a way of negotiating around stuff that might be minor hiccups that, that could become a real irritant. Like, ah, Jonathan's always 10 minutes late for the meeting. But if we've had a conversation where you're like, you know what, I'm always 10 minutes late for meetings. I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's talk about that and figure out how we work together around that, that pattern of behavior you have. Yeah. It brings up for me, as you're describing it, a relationship or dynamic that I've seen pop up a number of times with different folks that I've worked with on sort of longer term, larger scale projects. So I'm very much an internal processor. Mm. Uh, that's my style. That's my preference. That's the way that I sort of like think things through and come up with yeah. ideas. And and at a certain point, then I go external and I, I do it in a conversational way, but I'm usually really far into my process at that point. Right. I found myself working with people who are the exact opposite. They're very much external processors from the opening move. That's how they want to come up with ideas, solve problems, right. and move through situations. And if that's what I've learned is if that's not expressed early on, 
in the project, that creates conflict really quickly yeah. and frustration simply because of the processing style. And right. th- would this fall under sort of like the, this so. category for you? If, I mean, question one and two, Amplify and Steady kind of dance together. One's more of a kind of expression of who you are at your best. The other is kind of the almost the, the logistical manifestation of how that also shows up in the world. You know, my, my similar example, Jonathan, is I tell people that I tend to make the tough decisions. It tends to be slow, slow, fast. Mm. <laughs> in other words, I, it takes me a while and people are like, Michael, could you speed it up, please? But then when I come to clarity around it, it's really fast and it's really clear and it's really firm. And just telling people this is how it looks like when I'm making decisions, particularly with the tough stuff, just helps remove some of the frustration that they might feel with that otherwise. Yeah. It's just so important, I think, to share these things. Yeah. And, and by the way, with each one of the, we should say that each one of these gets its due um, in the book. And with each one of them, as I shared, you, know, you have specific exercises and language to actually go a lot deeper. So, which I love because a lot of, a lot of folks would be like, like, tell me what to do and say specifically. <laughs> Um, right. a little too much to go into in detail in this conversation, but, um, for, for everyone listening, go, go actually dive into this because you'll get very practical step-by-step, um, guidance there. The third question you tee up is what you call the bad date question. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's pair that with the fourth question, which is the good date question. Okay. Here's the core insight. The patterns from your past will repeat again in the future. Even though it's with different people in different contexts, even though Jonathan's moved from New York to Boulder, even though he's moved from this project to this next project, different people, same patterns are going to keep showing up because you are still involved. So let's figure out what the patterns are. So the good day question is, what can we learn from past successful relationships? And it's useful to talk about the context and it's useful to talk about what you've done. And honestly, because of our uh, psychological bias, we tend to take a lot of the credit for the really good working relationships. It's like, because I'm, it's because I'm awesome, isn't it? But actually, what's really helpful to look at is like, what did that other person do and not do and say and not say that contributed to that working relationship being really powerful? So in some ways, it's taking the amplify question, what are you at your best and expanding it to a relationship? What are we like at our best? And what can we learn from past that will help inform the future? And then the, the flip side, the dark side almost of that is the bad day question is what can we learn from past frustrating relationships? And now, again, you can talk about the context and you can talk about what you do and what they do. I think the most interesting place to look at is what you do. How did you contribute to those past dysfunctional relationships? What did you say and not say? What did you do and not do? Because that, hey, what a powerful thing to share with somebody. <laughs> Basically, let me tell you how I sometimes screw up relationships. Let me tell you what I'm like when I'm under stress and I'm being dysfunctional and I'm not playing nice and I'm out of my depth and I'm finding it hard. Let me tell you what that looks like so I can recognize it faster and you can recognize it faster. And maybe you go, it's not even personal. It's just Michael falling apart in this moment. So you have this conversation to say, I can tell you, about the types of relationships where I've, I've thrived in the past and some of the characteristics of that and some of the relationships where I've really struggled and some of the characteristics of that. And if you're hearing that, hopefully what you're saying is, I'm going to do all I can <laughs> 
to do more of the thriving stuff and less of the struggling stuff to make this relationship a thing we're both actively managing. Yeah. And, and part of what it seems like you're also teeing up here is, you know, especially on the, you know, like how did I contribute to the frustrating past relationship side? It's an invitation to vulnerability for both people exactly. to a certain extent too. And when you interject that in the early parts of an engagement together, it changes the dynamic in a really powerful way. It, it lets others know that I'm, I'm willing to go there and that um, I'm inviting you to do that too. And I feel like that is, and also it's it's letting somebody know that I'm aware of this pattern in me that can go dysfunctional. Right. Right. And it's it seems like it's almost like an implicit invitation or permission slip to the other person to say like, if you see this happening, yeah. I'm aware that this happens and I'm aware that it's not healthy. And right. like, let's actually call me out on this or call me in on it, or let's actually talk about it rather than you just fuming and building up frustration. That's right. So again, you get these interesting answers in the moment. And as you said, there are exercises for every single question, three exercises for every question to help you kind of deepen and make more nuanced your own answers to this. But so much of what this is doing is just giving permission to keep talking about it. So when it does go off the rails, it, it will. You're like, oh, Michael said he was going to be acting like this, and here he is acting like this. So let me call him on it. Let's have that conversation. Let's see if we can figure out how to to right the ship somehow. Yeah, and talking about going off the rails, it kind of drops us right into the fifth question, mm. which is the repair question, which also relates back to those like that that triumvirate of qualities that need to That's be right. present that you mentioned earlier: the safety, vitality, and repairability. Because things will go off the rails. So what do we do at that point? <laughs> You know, part of the research, I guess, around this book was reading people like Esther Perel and Dan Siegel and Terry Reel and uh, John Gottman and Five Love Languages guy, just going, look, these are people whose whole life is thinking about relationships and how they work. And if there's a common theme across all of them, it is the relationships that have an ability to have longevity and to flourish are able to be repaired. And the second insight most of us are pretty bad at trying to repair relationships. <laughs> Most of us kind of give up pretty quickly. We get hurt really easily and kind of go, that's it. And we retreat, you know, we fight or we flight or we faint, you know, we kind of flee. Um, we don't step back to repair. So this question, how will we fix it when things go wrong? In some ways, its power is just saying, I really like you at the moment, Jonathan, but things are going to go wrong between us somehow. I don't even know how yet. How will we fix it? So you're declaring an intent to fix it when things go wrong. You're already declaring an intention that I'm going I've, I've got some. I'm going to stick with this uh, working relationship and really trying to make it work. It also gives you an opportunity to kind of keep talking about. It kind of connects back to the bad date question, which is how will you be misunderstood? <laughs> because one of the things that breaks in relationships is. Somebody gets the wrong idea about what you're trying to do. They don't understand your intention. I don't know if you ever had that, but um, apparently when I'm thinking, which doesn't happen that often, but when I am thinking, I kind of get this slightly grumpy look on my face. It's like, you know, I think I inherited it from my mum. I'm like, I look angry and miserable and slightly mad and intense, a little black cloud of something or other going over my head. And I was only finding out that the reason somebody on my team had been kind of like, weird with me for six months was that she thought I was permanently angry with her mm -hmm. as opposed to uh, just curious, which is frustrating in some ways. Um, 
that allowed us to get into a conversation about how do we repair that because we're like, let's talk about that and give each other signals about what it might look like when it's broken. Yeah. And having that conversation early on, I think is so powerful. It reminds me of, of some of the research uh, Gabrielle Udengen has done in towards goal achievement. You know, she has this protocol she shorthands as whoop, uh, wish, outcome, obstacle, plan nice. built into her sort of let's successfully move to an outcome we want. And this is just on an individual level, but I think yeah. it applies to the dynamic here too is the notion of anticipating what might go wrong, what is likely right. to actually happen at some point, and then pre-planning, how will I respond to this actually. if and when it happens? And and in, at least in that context, her research shows that you're actually far more likely to achieve the thing that you want to achieve if you anticipate obstacles and then pre-plan around them rather than just ignore them and hope for the best. That's, that's exactly right. That saying from some stoic philosopher, you know, we don't rise to the challenge, we fall to the level of our training, or I think James Clear has re restructured that to the level of our systems. It's like what you are doing here is training in systems to give yourself a chance to solve the problems rather than just hoping that somehow you're going to be fantastic in that moment and it, you'll rise to the challenge. It, we rarely do. Nah. These are the five core questions, part of that, that keystone conversation. And in the rest of the book, you know, because as we've shared, um, there's a lot more detail and actually granular how to have these conversations. But also you have a whole different section, actually. How do you actually have these? Like, what is the container yeah. that you create to have these rather than just the specific questions and the language around them themselves? And as we start to wrap up, I was curious about that also, because it seems like you're anticipating that people aren't going to know how to actually sit down and have this kind of conversation. And maybe even any kind of constructive conversation. Yeah. And I'm wondering where that comes from. You know, I, it probably got its origins in the coaching habit book, Jonathan, because the power of that book I've come to learn is it unweirds coaching. You know, people have a kind of a bunch of baggage around what coaching is and what it should be and what they should be doing. And the feedback that I consistently get about it was, oh, if that's what coaching is, I could probably take a crack at that. And I think this is an unusual conversation, and I think it's really powerful, and I don't think people have seen a lot of role modeling around what this mm -hmm. might look like. So I'm really just trying to make this as practical and as doable for people as possible, because I want people to take the lead. You know, I, I heard something the other day, people don't want to be the first person to say hello, but everybody loves to be greeted. And it feels like in this context, if you're the person who's willing to say, hey, could we talk about how we work together so we got the best chance of working well together, it might, for some of us anyway, it might feel a bit awkward to do that. But for the most part, that is going to be a very welcome conversation. Yeah. It's sort of like the idea of, you know, better to have a brief moment of awkwardness and then, <laughs> you know, like a long sustained window of ease than oh, just have no awkwardness and a long sustained window of complexity and stress. You know? I wish I'd written that. <laughs> it's, it's perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and I love the idea. And it feels like that's a good place for us to land in this conversation mm -hmm. um, to our fabulous listening community. Absolutely check out the book. I literally have notes all over. It's fantastic. And I, I'm going to start just testing this, not just in work, by the way. This to me is about any relationship, anyone. This is about your your friends, your family, your partners. Same context, same questions, I think hold so much value in all the different parts of life. So 
Michael, thanks for uh, hanging out and sharing a lot more. And to our sports listening community, we'll see you all soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life, and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life, take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.